The Holy Gospel according to Luke, the 12th chapter. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. But he said to him, Friend, who set me to be a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to them, Take care, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. Then he told them a parable. The land of a rich man produced abundantly. And he thought to himself, what should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your life is being demanded of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward God. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, Lord Christ. Christ. I invite you to be seated. A man approaches Jesus and asks Jesus to be the arbiter for him in a dispute that he has with his brother. He wants his half of the inheritance, which yeah, seems only fair, right? He's entitled to half of the inheritance. And his brother apparently doesn't want to give it to him, or at least we assume that from the story. The problem is, in an agrarian world, wealth is in land. So if an inheritance is going to be split, it means land is going to have to be divided and sold off. If it was just a matter of money, well, then the inheritance could have been split a long time ago. But the truth is that the younger brother already has his half of the inheritance. It's just tied up in that land. And it's land that he now likely co-owns with his brother. The older brother probably doesn't want to sell half of the family farm off. And he doesn't have, you know, the money to buy his brother out. When land's been in the family for generations, and you'll see this, and if you've lived in rural America, you know this, and maybe you've had family farms, and so this hits close to home, but when you have land that's been passed down through the generations, and your ancestors' blood, sweat, and tears have been poured into that land, you know, how do you just throw that away? There's this sense of obligation to keep it intact and to carry it on. So for some, for those who do not want to be farmers, Maybe he wants to take his half of the investment and go and set up a, I don't know, maybe he wants to be a potter. Um, it's easy. It's not so hard to sell off the land. But for others, it feels impossible. What's sad is when siblings become enemies over land and over inheritance. And it happens all the time. And I have seen it with my own eyes way too often. What is at stake is not a parcel of land. What's at stake is the relationship between these two brothers. 
So Jesus invites us to take a look, a deeper look, and he tells a story. He's always telling these parables, and they're usually not something we should take right at face value, but they invite us to dig a little deeper and get involved. He says, well, the land of a rich man produced abundantly. Okay, and the man thought to himself, what should I do, for I have no place to store, you know, all this grain. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build bigger barns and then I can store all my grain and all my other stuff. He sounds pretty self-focused. So far, the only person in the story is the man. He's even talking to himself. He sounds pretty self-satisfied, even though the land produced the grain, not him, and only by the grace of God. It's sort of like, it's my stuff, and I did it, and then this great, and now what am I going to do with it and about it? He says, I'll pull down my barns, and I will build bigger ones. He's focused on what he has and how he can hold on to it and how he can ensure his own future. I mean, again, so far it's just all about him. His own comfort. So you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry, he says. I don't need anybody else. In other words, I don't even need God at this point. I got everything I need right here in my new barns. But Jesus says, except in the story that very night the man dies. And who's going to get all of his grain and his stuff? Take care, Jesus says, be on your guard against all sorts of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. The issue isn't money. Money is not the problem. Money can do a lot of good. We see good done with money all the time. I mean, thanks to the generosity of a couple of our members and the generosity of the son of former members, we're about to have new carpeting in the offices and all new flooring throughout this level of the building, and it's going to be lovelier and more inviting for everybody who comes. Thank gosh for that money. Money's not the problem. Donations pour into Children's Mercy Hospital all the time, enabling them to provide amazing care for children up until the age of 18 without any regard for whether their families have the ability to pay for it. Money supports artists, and money builds roads. <laughs> money is not a bad thing. Wealth doesn't make a person bad. Jesus had a lot of wealthy friends. In fact, Jesus relied daily on the generosity and kindness of his friends. The parable isn't about money, it is about greed. Greed. When we are focused on ourselves, then we become greedy. Greed is the impulse to have more. Greed is the desire to hold on to what we already have. Greed will lead us to turn our backs on other people, on our friends, our neighbors, our siblings, our fathers, our mothers. Greed denies relationships. I can do this by myself. I won't owe another human being. I won't even owe God anything. But that is not a rich life. 
Greed leads to a lonely, pointless, empty life filled with possessions until, of course, the day we die and then we can't take any of it with us. So Jesus says, be on guard against greed. Frances Haugen was 37 when she blew the whistle on Facebook. She had worked with them for a long time, and she's been heralded as one of those heroines, you know, those people who stand up to power. She testified before a Senate committee and provided a lot of documents that she had uh, held on to over the years, and so she compiled um, all the evidence that she needed to support her claims against Facebook, and she reported on how their algorithms were damaging people, were truly causing psychological and emotional harm to the people that use their platform. She has been applauded for her character, for her integrity, for her clear sense of right and wrong, and for her courage in standing up to power to protect other people. All of her teachers, going back to her elementary school years, talk about her intelligence, her sense of honor and integrity, her, her clarity, um, she's been admired her whole life for those characteristics. She truly is a wonderful and accomplished human being. Not perfect, but good. She invested, it turns out, in cryptocurrency when it was just getting started. I have heard stories about that, but she apparently made uh, a comfortable enough fortune and is comfortably wealthy at this point in her young life. And now she's being criticized because she moved to Puerto Rico, where it's warm and sunny and there are pretty beaches and they have no capital gains tax. Some question the righteousness of moving to a poor country in order to protect or hoard one's wealth. It would be really easy to judge Ms. Halgum except every time I stop and think about becoming an expat in a place with sunshine and a low cost of living and start fantasizing about all the adventures Ed and I will have when our retirement savings can be stretched further. So I'm guilty of the same thing. I was watching a YouTube video produced by one of the millions of people. It turns out right now today there are 1.6 million um, U.S. citizens living in Mexico alone, not counting all the other expats in the world. And they're mostly white, and they're mostly retired, or they're young people who can, you know, do their work in the digital world. Anyway, I was watching this video, this YouTube video produced by one of these people who lived there. And in the video, he's describing, you know, how wonderful it is being an expat in Mexico and how far your dollars can stretch. And he gives a case in point because, um, and he happens to live somewhere between Puerto Vallarta and California in one of those resort tourist communities along the uh, Pacific coast. He brags about how when he moved there and he built his new house, posh place and in a, one of those set apart neighborhoods, and he said, instead of bringing his furniture down, he said, heck, here, you can just have it all custom made. So he took a page from a crate and barrel catalog from home and of a sofa that he wanted. And he was very careful, you know, to, he said, I, was, I made sure I cut out the price first. It was over $2,000 for that sofa. 
And he took it to a local artisan in the community who custom builds furniture, and he made an exact quality replica of that sofa in crate and barrel. And he said, and I only had to pay him $250. And he was laughing about that. Take care, Jesus says, be on your guard against all kinds of greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of one's possessions. So what are we to do instead? Jesus says we invest in the kingdom. We become rich towards God. And what does that look like? It looks like relationships. Being rich towards God means recognizing our dependency on God and on other people. Investing in the kingdom means investing in our relationships with other people. Lisa Stewart, I'd point to her, but I don't want to make her feel conspicuous. One of our newer members is a horsewoman and saddle fitting expert turned author. And she has written a really captivating book that describes her discovery of abundant life. And the title is The Big Quiet, which draws me already. And she describes a journey she took on horseback. She set out from here and was going to head out around Kansas and Missouri in the rural area for at least a month and at most three months. And, take, and during this journey, she takes a deep look at her relationship with herself and her relationships with people from the past. And she also begins to discover the abundant goodness in total strangers and the joy of living one moment at a time, trusting others, trusting God. She describes how every day she pressed on in the blazing hot Kansas, Missouri summer sun, skirting fields, wondering who would provide the next bucket of water for her and her horse, a bath taken in a garden hose, a place to pitch her little pup tent, a safe pasture for her horse. And moment by moment by moment, God provides. She describes living on kind bars. Kind bars are not very big, and I think she's eating three a day. I don't know how she did it. And sipping water and traveling only with her riding habit, which is her boots, the pants, her sh the shirt on her back, and her wide-brimmed hat. And in her saddlebag is a pair of silk pajamas, a pair of shorts, a t-shirt, one pair of flip-flops, and a change of underwear. That's it for weeks on end. And yet she feels rich beyond measure. It isn't about possessions or money, Jesus says, because when we die, those are gone. No, being rich towards God is about gratitude and loving people and caring for and being cared for by others. It's about trusting, one, trusting God and one another. Day after day, Lisa received everything she needed and then some. Every day, God provided and strangers provided and welcomed her into their yards and into their pastures and into their lives and into their homes. That is the kingdom life, and we can never lose it. Amen.